Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Slush, did you all ever see that PBS uh, documentary on people who own ferrets? And the, did, okay, obviously, yes, everyone. So in ferret, in ferret subculture, there's this belief that the ferrets have an afterlife and it's called the Rainbow Road. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm just saying, and this is like a widely held, this is like something that is <laughs> like people who are in this documentary with like entire laundry rooms of ferrets just kind of like running all up and down. They're talking about the Rainbow Road. And what I'm trying to, the, the tie back to this is that if folks who are obsessed with ferrets can have beliefs about the afterlife, the liberal Christians can too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like we're trying to say, <laughs> If we could have, if they could have a documentary's worth of afterlife beliefs, <laughs> then we can as well, y'all. There's like, there's like Reddit channels. It's amazing. So, um, <laughs> so, um, yep. And we're seeing in the chat lots of responsiveness to that as well. So, uh, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Hi, hi, hi. Um, so we, we got to build, listen, if you're not going to jump on with the ferret folks, then you got to build your own path, you know what I mean? And that's what we're trying to do. Um, speaking of the, the Servant Series Challenge, there was, <laughs> there was um, someone who posted, like, maybe this would be a, a beautiful time for some community sharing, which, by the way, I would love. So if you ever want to share your deconstruction or reconstruction story, like if you want us to carve out some time in worship for you to share like a one to two minute reflection of just kind of how this has been going for you, we would love, love to do that. So please um, just tell any New City staff person uh, or uh, post it on Circle and we would love to create space for you to share because we know that lots of folks in New City have been doing really important work with that. And, uh, and so now we're going to get into, this sermon is going to be a little bit, remember um, uh, the, the, in the mission statement, it said we're here to create inspired and skilled communities. So that skilled word means that we're trying to give you actual tools to do this work. We're not just going to do like a rah-rah motivational talk. We're also trying to give you actual tools. And so today we're going to uh, talk about an actual tool that is really helpful for deconstruction and reconstruction, a really helpful tool. Um, but I, before we get into to that, I think I, I first off want to name the like impetus or like the, the reason why I'm teaching this tool. And that is because I want to love God more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Like my here, I'm putting all my cards on the table. Like my motivation is that I want to love God. And uh, the reason why I want to love God is because I'm this queer little kid who like goes out in nature and goes to these worship services and is like, there is so evidently and like palpably something greater than I am. 
out there that is like within me and also greater than me and is there's like a there's like something happening here and and I believe that that force is, is love and the the further along I go with my faith journey the more I am able to receive love and the more I'm able to provide love for myself for my neighbors and for the world and so like I'm kind of like whoa there's like something really big out here. And so the reason why I'm teaching this skill is not simply as like an intellectual activity, but because there is, uh, there is a, a heart yearning for love. There is a soul that is crying out for a God and that God is crying to, <laughs> trying to respond back to it. That's what I believe. And so that's, that's uh, my cards on the table. And uh, I know that some folks in here grew up with belief systems or in a, in, a, in a world church system where um, the motivation wasn't, was a, a slightly different flavor. And, and a lot of times as I'm talking to folks in the community, I'm hearing that um, a lot of New City folks learned a false dichotomy between to love God, you believe everything the pastor says, no questions asked, or you're an atheist. Like a lot of folks grew up with this like, it's either you take it the whole kitten caboodle as expressed by one usually male, straight, great biceps and straight teeth person, <laughs> or it's nothing at all. And those are kind of like the options is like this kind of like boomer bust, kind of like uh, collapse mentality that has been in a lot of churches. And, and of course, like, I think the, the reason why that exists is because um, a lot of preachers are tasked with creating urgency or creating purpose, creating clarity. And a lot of times the way that they go about doing that is like A or B. Now, uh, as, a queer, as a member of the queer community, I, uh, I believe that there are ways that we can come together with passion and energy and an insistence on a better world without creating binaries. And I think that actually, when we disrupt binaries, we build a little bit more of the kingdom of God. Ooh, sometimes we gotta get rid of, we gotta get rid of the binaries to realize who Jesus was. And so, um, so uh, a lot of folks grew up with this kind of uh, belief or thought system. And um, again, like I'm trying to do that the, the journey that we talked about, like I empathize with wanting to create a certain sense of clarity and urgency. And I believe that there are much healthier ways to do that. And so um, um, uh, the reason why I'm especially concerned about this binary uh, is a couple of reasons. One, because it's churning out folks who have fallen away from the church, folks who have rejected Christianity, not because they don't want to be in relationship with God and Jesus, but because they don't want to be in relationship with a pastor. And so there's a bunch of people leaving the, the faith, not because they actually lost their faith, but because they're like, well, I just don't like that homophobic guy anymore. And like, that's, um, okay, so I'm aware of, uh, of the cost of that. But the other reason why this binary is problematic is because there are texts that exist like Romans 13, the, the text that we just read. And uh, this, this idea, this line of let every person be subject to governing authorities can just be compoundingly problematic when there's like a very particular way to understand how to interpret that. In fact, Romans 13 has been used to justify inappropriately apartheid in South Africa, 
slavery in the uh, in the in the Christian discourse. They like this was a ex- like word for word cited text to justify slavery and to uh, to quell revolts. Uh, most recent and most recently, the separation of children and parents at, at the border by Jeff Sessions in 2018. He like literally in in a speech where he's talking about this policy. He's like, you know, as the wise apostle says, we need to obey governing authorities. So that like happened in 2018, and so like this this is like turning into policy, right? Like this is turning into like a social system, a social caste system. Interestingly, given 4th of July weekend, it was also used um, by, in, in the American Revolutionary days, it was also used to stop the revolution. It was saying like, hey, the, the, the British are the authorities and this, the Bible says obey the authorities, so that means no revolution. Um, so like, all kind of across the board, the Third Reich really liked that Hitler was a big fan of this text. Um, and any time that Hitler's a big fan of a text of the Bible, it really gives pause to, <laughs> what, um, to how we are approaching it. And I think it's too important for us to be able to handle these scripture uh, with care, for us to simply um, delegate that to one pastor. And so I want to teach a tool to be able to approach texts like these, especially because, like, they're turning into policies that affect our real lived reality. And uh, and they're being used by folks who are saying, like, this is what Christianity is about. And so if you all identify with Christianity and don't agree with them, then, like, it's kind of time for us to be able to have a robust response, a robust, like, counterweight to say, like, actually, that is a mistreatment of the text. So, um, uh, yes, so what happens if you think that resisting a corrupt government is a moral requirement does that mean you're not a Christian anymore? And I think that this is the, the crossroads that a lot of people have found in their own, uh, in their own childhood. Like, I see it, as, I see the trappings of our society. I see the shortcomings of our government. And if, does it mean that, like, I'm no longer a Christian? Am I now an atheist if I believe that we need to resist that? Like, that is the question that a lot of folks are left with. And so we have uh, come up with this tool called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Give some snaps if you've heard of the quadrilateral before. Wow, more than I expected, honestly. That's great. That's great. That's great. If you haven't heard of the quadrilateral, it's a, it's a really old concept within the Methodist tradition. Uh, New City Church is United Methodist. I'm a United Methodist pastor. And you can tell that it's old because it uses the word quadrilateral. (laughs) uh, Why isn't the church growing? We have words like quadrilateral. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so uh, it's it's an old concept that I believe is really helpful for our current situation. And basically it's saying that in order to discern truth, there's kind of like a conversation that needs to happen between scripture and reason and tradition and experience all together. Like all four of these things are shaping how we most faithfully pursue God. This is like a really important uh, aspect of what it means to be United Methodist. And uh, what's interesting is I was just at a, uh, I was just doing a one-on-one with someone 
who grew up in, um, went to a, a conservative Bible college and is kind of like in a deconstruction phase. And he's like, here's the thing. When I was growing up, I was told that our church is Bible, 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 that we are only Bible. And now I'm in a Methodist church that is talking about these four things in conversation together. And I'm realizing that those churches that said that they were Bible, Bible, Bible are actually still using all of these things, but they're not naming it. And so they're like, well, this is the Bible and, and we're using our reason, our social lens, traditionally, our, our own theological streams, but we're presenting it as if the Bible by itself is only presenting this one interpretation, when in fact, there is a lot of other things at play here. And so in Methodism, we're trying to say, like, we're naming reason, tradition, experience, because you're going to bring that to anything, any art or book that you encounter in general, and so we might as well name this so that we can like really understand how all of this is weighing in to your interpretation of scripture. And so uh, let's take Romans. Th- can we do a little a little mini workshop? Are y'all in for Are y'all in for the journey? Are we? Can we do this? Um, let's take Romans thirteen as an example, which has this text that talks about um, uh, being beholden to or obeying authority. Okay, so let's just take a little walk around the diamond, right? So in scripture, um, one of the questions that we can ask is, are there any other scriptural texts that either affirm or contradict what I believe this is saying? Like if we're really reading that this is like, we're supposed to just revere any official regardless of their uh, uh, moral conduct as an official, if that's really what the text says, is that corroborated by other parts of the Bible? Because uh, if there's only one verse that's saying this, that, that has different weight than kind of the tenor of the entire Bible saying that. And as it turns out, there's a whole bunch of parts of the Bible where people actively resist rulers. Like, there's a, there's a whole bunch. Um, and in fact... Uh, Like Paul himself, who wrote this letter, was imprisoned like multiple times. Like he was in jail all the time. And he wasn't in jail because he was only obeying authorities. (laughs) Like he was, like he was arrested because there was a subversiveness to his very own ministry. Um, Also, uh, you know, we're Christian, like New City Church identifies as Christian. Not everyone at New City identifies as Christian, but we're a church, and that means that we are following Jesus Christ, and and Jesus is kind of an important figure. And as it turns out, Jesus was, like, crucified by the government, and he wasn't crucified because he was, like, subject to governing (laughs) authorities. Like, generally speaking, governments don't just publicly execute folks unless they're trying to say something, they're trying to convey a message. Crucifixion existed because uh, the, the Roman Empire wanted to show people what happens to dissidents. Like the Roman Empire was like, we're going to put this guy as a billboard of what we are going to do to all of you if you resist the government. And Jesus was like, okay, come at me. And, and that it was like, the Christian witness, that, that is the most prime example we have of how Christians relate to empire. And so, um, uh, so uh, you know, as we're exploring this Romans 13, it's like, okay, now we're starting to think in some more layers. Like, interesting that I didn't, I didn't 
whatever my reading of Romans 13 is, it seems that there's some tension or there's some dissonance between other things that we read in the same Bible, in some cases from the same author. And so if that is the case, that is kind of like a little bit of, of t- you start to feel a little tug into the text, like some curiosity. I wonder what uh, is really trying to be conveyed here. And so then we move to reason and we start to think through like, what can we research about this? What can we understand logically about this? What makes sense? And we hear uh, in, through research that in, in Romans, Paul is trying to unify a divided church under government that disappears people. So, um, in a little bit of context, uh, there was a church in Rome, and uh, there was a, a gathering of faithful in Rome, I should say. Um, whether or not they used the language of church at, at an early point is kind of debated. But the emperor uh, expelled all of the faithful out of Rome, and then a different emperor let them back in. And so Paul is writing to folks who are like, there are some folks who are expelled, there are some folks who actually stuck around, there's a lot of tension in in that community. And so the whole book of Romans is already motivated by creating some type of coherent community among different groups of people. Uh, And so that's kind of an interesting data point because it's like, if that's the case, then what would make sense uh, for this? We also know from that time that the Roman Empire empire didn't have like a lot of due process for christians like the the uh, the roman empire was like uh we're going to disappear people like there's rumors um i've only read this in one source but like there was rumors that uh uh the emperor took christians dipped them in oil and then set them on fire to light the garden as he walked through his garden so it's like Okay, this this is a government that is not uh, uh, playing right now. Like this is a government that is like really, really intensely violent. Um, so what do we do about in light of that? And then also, uh, if we apply our reason, we learned that Paul was writing to a community that was previously banished from Rome and only recently let back in. Like I was saying, that there is um, a certain sense of like community formation that he's trying to create. So then we consider tradition. And, and uh, the act of tradition is to say, like, who, how have the people who have gone before us wrestled with this? Or what is kind of like the way that our, another way to say that is our spiritual ancestors wrestled with this? And um, in tradition, uh, you know, uh, if, if we, even if we go back to Origen, who's one of the earliest Christian writers, we already hear Christians being like, hey, let's, like, nuance this a little bit like or let's let's like not water it down but just like put this in conversation with other things so even origin was like uh hey let's talk uh acts 529 which says we must obey god rather than humans <laughs> like let's let's talk about how like it's important to let this is kind of the martin luther king concept like if a, a law is moral if we have a moral obligation to uphold it. And a, if a law is immoral, then we have a moral obligation to oppose it. Like, let's try to, to nuance that a little bit. And, and so we hear Christians doing that even from the very earliest, earliest, earliest Christianity. And then New City is also in a scriptural tradition called womanism. Do you all know womanism? So womanism is like um, black women theologians in America who are like, we're trying to look at this intersectionally. Um, New City, I should say, like, 
uh, obviously I don't identify as a black woman, but like uh, New City has benefited greatly from the scholarship and work that that womanists have done. Like womanists have kind of paved a way for us to have a theological imagination for how to approach Christianity. Hallelujah. A lot of my seminary training was around womanism. And uh, when we look at our tradition of womanism, we get this quote from uh, Will Gaffney. The life, liberty, and pursuit... Oh, sorry. So this is specifically uh, Reverend Dr. Gaffney responding to um, Jeff Sessions and Jeff Sessions saying that Romans 13 means that it's okay for parents to be separated from children at the border. So this is in response to that. And Reverend Dr. Gaffney says, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness of thousands of migrants and their children should, uh, should be dependent on how or should not be dependent on how or how badly Jeff Sessions interprets scripture. The collection of texts that make up the Bible is not the U.S. Constitution. Their interpretation and misinterpretation is not the basis of our democracy. Uh, anyone hearing this? So she, like, here is a Hebrew Bible scholar, PhD, fluent in uh, biblical languages, saying like it is not okay to use the bible in a totally a contextual a historic way in order to oppress the lives of the folks in a country who where people don't all identify as christian like it, that's that's not okay and, and so we hear from our womanist tradition uh the tradition that we have benefited from greatly that a certain type of like uh, 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 contextualization is important. Um, and lastly, if we, if we consider our experience in, in all of this, it makes me think of um, a reflection that I, that I read from uh, Reverend Marcus McCullough. He said, you know, in my community, there's this concept of go along to get along. And, and maybe Paul was telling his folks to survive. Like maybe Paul was saying like, um, there is going to be an opportunity of resistance but like this kind of like um, act, wiling out in an unorganized way. I don't know if any of you do any activism work or any movement building work, but you know that one guy who's like there to, to, to fight. Like he, he's there to start something, not there to create progress necessarily, but there because he just kind of wants to like uh, mess something up. I'm trying to, there's a lot of swear words that just passed through my head that I'm not saying any of them for, for that. But like he's starting to, he's, he's starting some, some stuff. Um, okay, do you remember that one time that I accidentally said a swear word uh, at, at New City Church and then the next week the pandemic started? So... Not saying that there's causation, but maybe, you know? So I'm just, <laughs> Jesus is like, there are tiny ears listening and uh, the parents might not appreciate that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so similar to swearing, uh, we, we get this ethic, we get this idea that's like, um, so of course there is resistance. Christians have always resisted. Jesus resisted. Disciples resisted. The church has always resisted. But like, re we resist because we believe that there is like a moral way that God wants society to happen, not simply for the sake of resisting. Like the, the moral 
good is not resistance in itself, but it's resistance for the sake of building something that we call the kingdom of God. Like resistance is like a tool that we're using. It's not simply uh, uh, the, the thing that we do to make ourselves feel better. It's not simply catharsis. And, uh, and so maybe Paul is approaching Romans saying like, hey, like, I know it feels really good and self-righteous to be able to like, just like run amok and, and be really loud for a little bit, but maybe community is a more meaningful way to find justice. Maybe organizing a movement is a more meaningful way to find justice. Maybe like looking to the person who is in the pews with you or in the temple with you and figuring out how to be in powerful relationship with each other first is a more meaningful way to create social change than simply like rah, 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 fighting some stuff, burning, uh, well, some, sometimes burning some stuff down is really helpful, but again, doing it in community always doing it in community, always insisting on the movement and letting the movement guide your actions and not simply uh, uh, your own uh, personal like catharsis moment. I thought uh, that um, the song that we sang this morning was actually a really beautiful expression of this, of this concept of, I'm going to let it be. I'm going to let it be. There's some stressful things going on in life, but I know that in God's presence in my heart, this faithful God who loves us so much, this immense and powerful God who takes the time to connect with us individually, this God who is there to respond to every prayer, this God who is willing to accompany us through every valley of our lives, this God who is redeeming every chance that we have for a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. There's, there's this God that is present, and when that is the case, there are certain things that I can look to and say, I'm going to let this be. Because there's, there's, a, there's a love of God that is simply more important. I know that th- uh, this past week, you had a lot of stressful things in your life. This past month, this past year, I know that there's been a lot of things going on. And what we're trying to recultivate as we're kind of emerging out of the pandemic is this sense of like what we can create peace with and what we must resist and understanding the difference between the two. And so, uh, there, the questions for you to ask as you're reading the Bible is, what do other parts of the Bible say about this in itself? What makes sense? What have my ancestors said? And what does my soul say? You can take a picture of this, by the way. I see some folks uh, writing down. Th- these questions, these simple questions that you can take with you are questions that allow you to be able to engage Scripture in a way that is holistic, more holistic, more driven uh, towards context, and more informed. And this is what I believe will fundamentally uproot this violent weaponization of the Bible by uh, uh, my conservative Christian family members. <laughs> like, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to convey that, like, I am committed to... Um, uh, to showing up. I'm not just saying like those bad guys over there, like, no, we're all in community. We're all, I believe in collective liberation. I'm trying to talk to y'all, all of y'all. And I'm trying to convey how messed up saying Romans 13 justifies slavery is like Romans 13 
in po- the Pauline context cannot be used to justify slavery, particularly because chattel slavery didn't even exist in Pauline time, and there was no race-based slavery until white folks in the middle of 1500s decided that that was a good idea. So, like, <laughs> like we cannot use Paul to justify slavery, and furthermore, we can't use Paul to justify ongoing injustices that are continuing to ruin people's lives, to ruin children's lives. The Bible was written so that we might love God. The Bible was written so that we as a community can find love in each other. The Bible was written so that you could come back home again. And if there's any text, any one individual section of text that does not support you in loving God and your neighbor more, then here is some questions that allow you to dive in and to keep diving until you find an answer that is satisfying and supportive of your love of God and your neighbor. That's the whole point of the Bible. And the reason why we gather together on Sunday morning is not so that I can spoon feed you exactly what you're supposed to believe about the Bible, but so that you can become a spiritually powerful person, so that you can make a difference in your relationship with your Bible and a difference in your family and a difference in your work and your society, because now you are in touch with the God who gives you peace. That is my goal. I want to love God, like I said before, and I want to love God like the Christians who opposed apartheid, slavery, and the separation of parents and children at the border. Christians who opposed all of these hateful, hurtful, violent things from the outside and the inside. What I mean is that there are folks who were uh, free, who were like, hey, slavery is bad. There are folks who were never enslaved who said slavery was bad. But then there are also enslaved folks who were Christian, who were saying Jesus doesn't want us to be enslaved anymore. There are folks who were suffering from under apartheid, who were black, who were like, we don't believe that Jesus wants this anymore. And I want the kind of faith that is like the Christians who were like looking at the Third Reich, who were looking at Hitler and saying, this is not the will of God in our life. I'm not simply deconstructing your harm. I'm reconstructing a vision for a new world. This is what the Bible offers us, and this, I believe, is what God can't wait to empower our hands to build. Amen? Amen.